Matthew chapter 12. We began a few weeks ago looking at something Jesus said here in verse 25. Look at it again with me. It says in Matthew 12, 25, Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and every city or house divided against itself will not stand. Jesus, again, helped us identify that the same spirit of division and strife that tries to work in the highest levels of government of the kingdom in ruling and governing parties that, is, that creeps in to those halls and tries to rip it apart from the inside is the same spirit of strife that works on every level beneath that. Whether you're talking about a kingdom, a city, or a house, if it's divided against itself, Jesus made it clear, it cannot, it will not stand. It'll come to desolation. That means it'll be completely ruined. And the thing that's so startling to me about this that needs to catch our attention is what brings a kingdom or a city or a house to desolation is not an attack from the outside. It's something from within. It's a spirit of strife and division from within that tries to divide and conquer. We've talked about it for weeks in a row now, but what Satan's whole plan has been from the beginning of time where mankind was concerned was number one, to deceive, number two, to divide, and number three, to destroy. And when we talk about this, it, it actually, it sounds funny, but it brings me a lot of joy. It actually makes me happy. When you, when you find out your enemy's entire plan of attack, He's lost the only thing he really had going for him, which was the element of surprise. The only thing he really had going for him was being able to trick you, being able to deceive you. But Jesus is so faithful here in the word of God to rip the cover off of that, shine a light on it and say, don't be deceived. Don't be tricked. Here's his whole plan. Be on your guard. Don't be ignorant of the devil's devices. What are his devices? Deception, division, destruction. And if he can deceive, he can divide. And if he can divide, he can destroy. But the good news is in this is if you won't be deceived, come on, help me out. We won't be divided. What is the one thing that can keep you from being deceived? What can keep you from believing a lie? Believing the truth. The truth is powerful. The truth will set you free. The truth will make you free. And if you and I will build our lives on the truth, then deception will have no place in us. And if he can't deceive us into thinking that the other people in the house are our enemy, if he can't deceive you into thinking that the other people in the house, they're your problem, it takes deception for you to believe that. But if he can't deceive you into that, then he can't divide you and the other people in the house. And if he can't divide you, he can't destroy you. And what we're building here is not just a physical building. It's not just an organization. It's not a business. It's a house. And it's a house because we, our God is our father and we are his family. That's what Christianity was from the beginning. That's what he wanted from the very moment he created man. He was hungry for family. And if we have any hope or desire for this house to stand, then there's no place or room for division in it. Amen? So if division will destroy us, if we're divided, we can't stand. If we're united, we can't fall. 
and we won't fall. How good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell how? Together in unity. It's good. It's pleasant. And it's not just pleasant to you. you it is. I mean, we know that. You can, you can nearly feel it when you walk into a house full of strife. Even if the people have developed a good facade, even if they have developed in this ability to scream and fight and argue right up until the time the doorbell rings and they open it, it's like, welcome, dear brothers and sisters, into our home. Blessings on thee and thine. A spiritual person can walk into that and sense it and know it. It's not pleasant. It's not pleasant. And Jesus told his disciples about it as he was sending them out into ministry. He said, you are going to go into places. You're going to go into homes. You're going to go into some that will receive you. If they receive you, stay there. Go look at this. He said something funny. I'm still working on figuring it out. He said, stay there until you leave. Okay. Sounds good to me. Stay there till you leave. But he said, you will go to some places that won't receive you that won't hear you. He talked about going into different houses. He said, when you go into, house, into a home, you say this, peace be to this place. And he said, if your peace rests on it, then stay. He said, if it comes back to you though, get out of town. Now there's a lot in that that can be said, but here's, what I, here, here's, here's my stance on it. As a minister, there's things to learn in that. But I want to be the kind of house that peace rests on. In other words, if a minister comes into my house and says, peace on this place, I want it to stay. That's what we want. That's what we want in this house. Go to the book of Ephesians with me, chapter 4. Thank you, Lord. We've been looking at this scripture as well. Ephesians chapter 4. Beginning in verse 1, Paul is writing to this church by the Spirit of God, and he says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. And here's how you do that. With all lowliness, that's humility, gentleness, or meekness. See, this sounds like Jesus. He said, come learn of me because I'm lowly, I'm meek, I'm humble. He said, this is how you walk worthy of the calling. You do it with humility, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, bearing with one another in love. Now, the Lord's already talking to me about this particular verse right here, and I think we'll have to get into it in the weeks to come. But it, I, I like that phrase, bearing with one another in love. Look at your neighbor and say, bear with me. <laughs> bear with me. Bear with one another in love. Why? Because that's what love does. Love will bear with you. There's a lot that can be said about that. We will in the weeks to come. Bearing with one another, though, in love. Again, that's what love does. Verse 3, endeavoring. There's not even a period after verse 2. Still the same thought. Endeavoring. Other translations say, making every effort, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Endeavoring. And like we talked about last week, that should tell you and should tell me that this is not automatic. This kind of unity, this kind of prevailing peace doesn't just happen. 
It comes as the result of you and I making it a priority, doing exactly what we're doing right now, looking to the word, finding our instruction, putting it into practice. Why? Because nothing is more valuable than our unity. Nothing is better. Nothing is more pleasant than our oneness, our togetherness, our unity. And that's why I said, endeavor, make every effort. If you have to, sacrifice some feelings. If you have to, sacrifice some opinions. Why? Because I want unity. I want unity more than I want you to say that I'm right. Unity's more valuable to me. Yeah, but I got a right to my opinion. Okay. But your right to an opinion is not what makes your opinion right. And there's a lot of people that believe that just because they think it, it's right. That's not what makes your thoughts right. That's not what makes your opinions right. What makes them right is when they line up with the word of God. But even more than strong feelings, even more than, than strong opinions, even more than the, the desire to prove yourself right in the eyes of somebody else, you ought to want to be right in the eyes of God. What's more valuable to you? You being right or you being righteous? What's more valuable? You're saying it, but wait till the argument happens, the fuss, the confrontation, and you got a decision in the moment to make when it's hot, it's heated, and you just know you're right, and if they would just bend to you, then everything would be okay. What you're saying is, my opinion's more valuable than our unity. And that's not true. There's nothing more precious, nothing more valuable than our unity. Thank you, Lord. And I like the way he goes on to say this, verse 4. There is one body. I want you to say that, one body. One body. We'll talk more about that in a moment. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called in, what is it? One hope of your calling. Every time you see that word, I want you to say it out loud. Verse 5, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. One, one. Thank you, Lord. Let's keep going in this today. I want you to skip ahead. Same chapter here, but look at verse 11. Ephesians 4.11 says, He Himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. Now, if you back up a couple of verses before this, He says, Therefore, He says, when He ascended on high, He led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. And these are the gifts that He gave. What are the gifts? These ministry gifts. He gave some apostles, some apostles, those are gifts. Prophets, those are gifts. Evangelists, pastors, teachers. These ministry offices are gifts. They are gifts to us from Jesus. They're gifts to us. And what he's going to do in these next several verses is help you and I understand what these gifts are for. Jesus gives you a gift and every gift he ever gives is a gift that keeps on giving. People give each other gifts. Some things are pretty. Some things are fun. Some things you get some use out of. But the things we enjoy the most, I think, are those things that just keep giving to us. Yeah. 
the gifts that keep on giving, things you get use out of day in, day out. I mean, how many times have you gone back to somebody who's given you something like, thank you so much for that thing, whatever it was. I use it all the time. That has made my life easier. That has made my life better. Well, that's what a good gift does. And that's what these gifts are. That's what these gifts do. And I want you to believe God with me today because about 10 o'clock last night, I started seeing some things about my own life and our job and assignment here as your pastors. Some things I hadn't really seen as clearly. So be in agreement with me today that, that we say this the right way. I want you to hear these things today because they're powerful. He said he gave these gifts, apostles, prophets, evangelists, excuse me, pastors and teachers. But here's what they're for. For the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. Now, many have read that and said that these ministry gifts were for the equipping of the saints and also for the work of the ministry. But that's not what he was saying. He was saying these gifts are for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. The work of the ministry is not just my job. It's not just Sarah's job. It's not just the ministry gifts that he's put in this church. The work of the ministry is y'all's job. <laughs> There's some good texting for you. That's our job collectively. But our specific assignment in this, as these gifts given to you, he said, is for the equipping of the saints. We're going to read several verses here, but we'll come back and talk about them. For the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. You see right away that there are two things that should be happening as the result of one of God's ministry gifts in your life. We're going to see three, but the two we've already seen here is number one, the equipping. The equipping. You have a job to do. We all do. But you have an assignment. And one of the things that should be going on every time we come into this place together is you should be coming in here, finding out what your assignment is, but leaving with the equipment to get it done leaving with the tools you need to get the job done. Jesus identified this in his own life. He stood up in front of people and he said, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel. Now the preaching of the gospel and the, the, the healing of the brokenhearted and the opening of the blind eyes and everything he said there in Luke 4, that was the job. That was the assignment. But what he said was, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me. There's the equipment. The anointing is the equipment to do the preaching. The anointing was the equipment to open the blind eyes. The anointing was the equipment to, to bring liberty to the captives. Can you see that? So you got two things here. You got the job and the tools to do the job. Well, you've got a job and you got to be coming in here and we got to be looking at the word together to find out what are our tools to get this job done? God, we can't do it without the tools. It's like somebody hiring you to, to, to do something, but not putting the tools in your hand to do it. That's frustrating. That's aggravating. And what's worse is if they come back and they're mad at you 
and had this unrealistic expectation for you to get a job done without the tools to get it done. So see, you need this equipping. This word equipping means this. To furnish, you ready for this? To furnish for service. To furnish for service or action by appropriate provisioning. To make ready. Somebody say, I got a job to do. You do have a job to do. It's the work of the ministry. There is a God-given calling and assignment on your life. We already read about it in the first part of this same chapter. Walk worthy of the calling. So you see, you've got a call. But alongside that call is you need the equipment, the furnishing for that service to get the job done. So when you're coming in here, part of our job as these ministry gifts is to help you with that equipment. The Lord already talked to us about this months and months ago when we first moved up here. And I think he used this environment that we're in of the the mountains around us and the great outdoors to kind of paint a picture. And he said, I want Legacy Church to be a base camp. You know what a base camp is? It's when a, a, an individual or a team of people set out on an excursion and they're climbing something high. They have to have a place that they return to to get all the equipping that they need, to get all the resources, to get the strength, to be nourished and so on. And they go out from base camp into the excursion, into the adventure, into the challenge. That's what this place is. There's an equipping. Because you're called outside of this place with purpose and a job to get done, but you need the equipping to get it done. So the ministry gifts are in your life, number one, for the equipping, to equip equip you with it. But then he goes on and says, uh, verse 12, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So number one, you're here to get equipped. But number two, these ministry gifts are in our life to build us up. To build us up. That sounds like a simple thing, but this is, this is a major assignment from God. Because I know that many of you and many people are living lives from Monday to Saturday that either the, the work environment they're in, or whatever environment it is, it's doing one thing. It's in an effort to beat them down. Beat them down, beat them down, beat them down. And there are things that are happening all week long, trying to take them out, tear them down, beat them down. Well, you need a place you can come to and sit in here for an hour and a half or so and somebody just feeds you the word of God to build you up, to build you up, to build you up. That's what this word edification means, to edify. Look it up. It literally means to build up. We use the word edifice. What is that? It's a building. It's a building. So the ministry gifts are in our lives to equip us and to build us, to build you up. And part of that building up is just simply encouraging you. It's, it's strengthening you. It's here in an effort to inspire you, to, to put confidence on the inside of you. That's why we want the atmosphere of this place to be so charged with faith. Because I know people are going to come dragging in here after a week of facing impossible situations, but one moment in the presence of God and the light comes on, the eyes come open, they say, wait a second, this is not impossible. With God, all things can be done. With God, all things are possible. And they go out of this place built 
up. Edified. Edified. But it's not just the ministry gifts that are called to edify. In this same chapter, a few verses later, verse 29, it says, Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearer. So I'm not the only one with this job. We have this same job to build each other up. And every word we hear and every word we say needs to be able to pass that test. How do you know if you're in the right place? How do you know if the word you're hearing is actually from God or from some dude's head? How do you know? Well, what did it do to you? What did it do on the inside? Was there a building up? Was there an encouraging? Was there a strengthening? Or was there a tearing down? Did it strengthen or did it compromise? Did it make you confident or leave you confused? Because if it left you confused, it was not from God. And sad to say, there's a lot of religious talk that sounds pretty, it's flowery, it's, it's said well, but people walk out going, huh? I thought, but wait a second, oh, I don't know. That's confusion. It's confusion. But you know you heard from God if it built you up. If it strengthened you, if you walked out of there going, I can do all things through Christ Jesus, which strengthens me. I am anointed. I am equipped. I've got a job. And not only did he give me a job, he gave me every tool I needed to get the job done. Come on. Can you see this? This is building up and up and up and up. Now, what about your words? Because they have to pass the same test. What you say to somebody, did you just impart grace to them? Did you just build up or did you tear down? Now you start to see where division gets in. He goes on back to, uh, well, thank you, Lord. Back to verse 13. Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of of Christ, verse 14, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro with, and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head. Now, here's what I saw late last night that I hadn't really put together before. He's still talking about the assignment on these ministry gifts. Speaking. Every one of these gifts is a speaking gift. Apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. Every one of these things is about words coming out of the mouth. It was the same thing when Jesus identified his assignment. He's a, the Spirit's anointed me to preach, to declare to proclaim. Every one of those things is something coming out of his mouth. That's the importance of hearing the word of God. Not somebody's thoughts, not somebody's opinions, but the anointed word of God. Because my thoughts and my opinions have no ability to remove a burden or destroy a yoke. Only the anointing can do that. And every one of these gifts he identified here are speaking gifts. And that's why he's talking about speaking the truth. Do you notice what he said would happen if 
if you have a ministry gift in your life and you're open to that gift to equip you, to edify you, build you up, do you notice the third thing that would happen? If that ministry gift will speak the truth to you in love, what would the result be? You would look at it, grow up. You grow up. So this is the third thing I see in this passage here about the assignment of these ministry gifts to equip, to build you up, and to grow you up. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not standing here saying this because I've already done all that. I've got ministry gifts in my life whose words I hang on because I recognize that God put them in my life. He put me under them and that their words are His words. And when they're coming out of their mouth, it's equipping me. It's edifying me. And it's growing me up. It's growing me up. It takes some humility to acknowledge that we need to grow up. But we do. We need to grow up. Speaking the truth, he said, in love may grow up into all things, into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by whatever joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, check this out, causes growth causes growth of the body for the edifying, the building up of itself in love. He says, Jesus is the head of this body. You know that, right? You know you are a part of a body. Now, not just a body, but what did he say a few verses before this? One body. One body. And Jesus is the head. There's only one head on this body. Thank God. That'd be an ugly, freaky looking body, right? With a bunch of heads on it. One head. One body, one head. I'm not the head. You're not the head. He is the head. But every word he uses to describe the body and its place and connection to the head, it's all about growth. Uh, uh, being perfected. That just means growing. Um, he talks about the, the body here growing, the edifying, the building up of itself in love. Now the head is full grown. Jesus is the head. He's perfected. He's grown. The body still has some growing to do. And if this body stays small, that's a weird looking body. I mean, think of it. The body of, that, that had the head of a full grown man. And the body of an 18-month-old. That's a little creepy, isn't it? That's a little strange, right? Well, the body has to grow. The body has to develop. And he said, part of the assignment of these ministry gifts in your life is that you would no longer be children. No longer be children. And if you've got kids, then it should be easy to identify some childish ways of thinking. Some childish ways of acting. And identify those and then say, okay, it's okay for them. Why? Because they're a child. Not okay for me. Not okay for me. What did he say would be the cause of our growth? Love. The truth spoken in love. Now, if I were to ask you to take me to one place in Scripture, one chapter that was just definitive of the love of God, where would you take me? What would it be? 1 Corinthians 13. Go look at it. 
you know that this chapter is all about love, but think about what love does. It matures you. It grows you up. So when you're reading about love here and you find out that love is patient and love is kind, what you could actually say is that spiritual maturity is patient. Spiritual maturity is kind. And to prove to you that that's really what this is about, you get down to verse 11 of this chapter. Paul said, when I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. These are ways we identify children and, and childish ways. Children have a way of speaking. And I'm sure if, if you even just heard the voice of a child without even seeing them, you'd be able to identify, that's a child, that's a young one. I, I did this years ago, and I'm so thankful I did, going all the way back to when Justice was, I don't know, just two years old, three years old. I would get out my phone every now and then at bedtime, not to video, just to record a voice memo. And I've got probably, I don't know, eight or ten voice recordings on my phone of Justice when he was three years old. I've got one uh, that's labeled Jesse Sounds because they weren't even words. They were just giggles and grunts and spits. I mean, it was so cute. But I did that periodically throughout the years. And the kids love them so much. We go back and listen to them. I have a hard time with it. It brings me to tears when I hear those little voices go back to Justice and I don't know how old would he have been, that one we were listening to the other night, three years old. And he's just talking away all about mommy's chocolate chip cookies. And mommy makes the chocolate chip cookies. And some, some of them are small and some is medium and some is big. But mommy makes the chocolate chip cookies. And he would say, daddy, um, I have a question. And I'd say, okay, what's your question? He'd say, um, it's white outside. <laughs> and I'd say, yes, that's a good question, buddy. And he would say, sometimes it's white outside and sometimes it's dark outside. And daddy, I have a question. It's this tiny little voice, tiny, sweet little voice. We listened to Jessie the other day on the way to school. I don't know how she would have been, two, three years old, maybe at the most. And she's just talking on and on and on and on. I don't even know what about. She's talking to us about pink airplanes and purple airplanes and all this stuff. But you can hear it in their voice how little they are. How little they are. And you can identify not just in how they talk, but in what they say and the way they say it. And you know what? It's so cute and it's so precious and it's even funny. When they're a child... I love some of the things they said as little ones, the words they would get mixed up. One of my favorites of Jessie's was always, she couldn't say hamburger, she would say hangaber. I want a hangaber. And I kept thinking, please don't ever stop saying hangaber. I want you to say that forever. But how many you know it would be weird <laughs> if Jessie was 35 years old saying, I want a hangaber? <laughs> what am I saying to you? There are ways of speaking as a child that are okay when you're a child. There are ways of understanding. There are ways of thinking when you're a child that are okay when you're a child. But how many of you know there comes time that you gotta grow up? Amen. You have to grow up. And there are some things that were cute then that are not cute now. 
Oh, come on. Are you listening to me? I mean, all you have to do is think about some of these things that just that just so define childhood. You remember when you were a kid or you had a little one in your home and they were just starting to learn to do some things for themselves and how desperately they just wanted to do everything by myself. I don't need help. I don't need help. Oh, baby, your shoes untied. Let me help. I don't need help. I can do it by myself. And 47 knocks later, what happened? They can't do it by themselves. I can do it by myself. I can do it by myself. And when you're watching and listening to a little kid talk that way and think that way and reason that way, it's cute. You know what's not cute? You. I can do it all by myself. I can do it all by myself. I don't need help. I don't need help. I don't need help. You know what that's called? Frustrating the grace of God. Because grace is standing there going, can I help? Can I help? I am your help. And you're going, I don't need anybody's help. I don't need anybody's help. I don't need anybody's help. It's childish. We got to learn to identify some of these childish ways of speaking, childish ways of thinking, childish ways of understanding. And it takes the help of the Holy Ghost to identify them in our lives. But what Paul said was, when I was a child, I talked like one. I understood like one. I thought like one. But check out this next statement. When I became a man, what did he say? I put away childish things. I think it's interesting that he didn't say, I grew out of childish things. There are some things we grow out of. My mother, somewhere in her house, in the, the corners of the attic, has a box of my clothes from when I was two and three and four years old. Folks, I've grown out of those. <laughs> I can put them on now, they'd be a little snug. There are some things just by reason of physical growth and just by getting older, you grow out of. But there are some things that if you don't put them away, they will stay in your life forever. There are some ways of speaking. There are some ways of thinking. And there are some ways of understanding that if you don't put them away, you will stay a child forever. But we need to grow. We need to grow. And we ought to want to grow. As much as you would want the equipping, right? Who wants that equipment? Who wants the anointing to do what God's called you to do? I know I do. I've tried it without it. It's horrible. It's a waste of time. It's a waste of energy. I want the equipping for whatever it is He's called you to do. Do you know that there is an equipping to be a good mom? Did you know there's an equipping to be a faithful husband and a faithful father? There is an equipping to do whatever. You know the phrase, there's an app for that? There's an anointing for that. There's, there's an equipping. There's an anointing to be the mom. There's an anointing to be the dad. There's an anointing to, to lead. There's an anointing to serve. There's an anointing to do the work of the ministry. I want it. You ought to want it. Because it's frustrating trying to do it without it. I want to be built up. Yes. When I sit under the ministry gifts that the Lord's put in my eye, I want that. I want that strength. I want that encouragement. I want that inspiration. I want that motivation. I want that light of revelation to go on in my eyes that says I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me to do it. I want the equipping. I want the building up. But as much as I want those things, I need to want to grow up. And that's where people are like, uh, hold on. Because to grow up requires 
a pretty intense invasion of your privacy. You start getting into what people say. You start getting into what people think, what people understand, and how they do it. And that's where people take a step back. Yeah, you can equip me. Yeah, you can build me up. But I'm as grown as I'm going to be. Thank you very much. I'm a 45-year-old man. I know what I'm doing. Saying that alone is a childish thing. I think back on Justice being a little guy and how he used to say, I'm a big boy. I'm a, I'm a big boy. I'm a big boy. Well, okay, he's three. Is he bigger than he was? Sure. Is there still some growing to do? You bet. But it's this childish mentality that says, no, I'm done. I'm big. I can handle it. I can do it on my own. And it requires a pretty intense invasion of your privacy. But can you deal with that? Because that's what Christianity was always intended to be. Jesus said, I want access to all of it. I want access to every thought. I want access to every motive. I want access to every word, every deed, every action. I want it all. That's what making him Lord is really all about. So can you handle Jesus invading the way you think, the way you speak, the way you understand? We need to desire this kind of growth. Thank you, Lord. So if you're open to the Lord helping you identify some childish ways of thinking, let's start with one today. <laughs> Go back here in the same book of 1 Corinthians to chapter 3. We'll begin to wrap it up. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul wrote to this church and he said, I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes, babies in Christ. You know, when you're first born again, it's like a baby being born. When you're first born again, you are a baby in Christ Jesus. You are a baby in your new life and walk with God. And just like a baby, naturally speaking, needs to grow, you and I need to grow. In the same way that there are stages of life and growth in the physical, there are stages of life and growth in the spiritual. But Paul, now you'd really have to back up into chapter 2. We won't take the time to do it. But to understand what he's saying in chapter 3, he said to them in chapter three, in chapter 2, he said, When I came to you, I didn't use uh, human words of wisdom. He said, I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus crucified. He said in verse 4 of chapter 2, My speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and power, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. He said in verse 6, though, However, we speak wisdom among those who are mature. So you see, there's a difference. You can say different things to different people based on where they are in their growth, where they are in their maturity. There are some things that, yeah, you could say to a baby, but they're not going to comprehend it. You, can, you could explain the theory of relativity with perfection to a five-week-old. But it didn't, didn't do anything for them. I mean, you could, you could talk physics. You could talk science. You could talk math. You could explain the meaning of life. But to a four-year-old, 
you better try to do it in about 90 seconds because that's all the time you got. There are some things they just can't handle. There are some things they just can't hear. They just can't receive it. The words might fall in their ears, but it's not doing anything for them. And Paul said, hey, I had to come to you and I couldn't talk with, I couldn't talk in wisdom. I couldn't talk with persuasive speech. I had to decide the only thing I know among you is Jesus and him crucified, which is a good thing. I mean, you got to start there and there's great power in it. But then he goes on and says, we talk to a different way to people who are mature. And what he does in the rest of that chapter is identify the deep things of God and where they come from. He said, they come out of the spirit up out of the Spirit of God. And no man knows the mind of God except the Spirit of God. And he's saying there's all these things to be known. There's all these things to be seen. And then he gets down into chapter 3 and he's like, but I can't tell you any of them. I can't give you any of it. Now, as a person who depends on what's written in these pages, that makes me frustrated with this church because there are things that I don't get to read because they couldn't hear it. Now, I just have to trust that the grace of God got everything in here that I was supposed to get. But Jesus said it to his disciples. There are, there's more I want to say to you, he said, but you can't hear it. You guys, I could have had another few verses from Jesus. I could have had another chapter written in red, but you couldn't hear it. I just got to trust that he said what he needed to say and I see what I need to see. But you see how important that is, the ability to, to hear and to receive. He said, I couldn't speak to you as spiritual people, but to carnal, as babies in Christ. That's why I said, I fed you with milk, not with solid food, for until now you weren't able to receive it. And even now you're still not able. Milk is a good thing. Babies grow with it. It's like miracle grow. These, these little things come out six pounds and in like, a, I don't know, a week later, they're just growing and growing and growing all on a few ounces of milk every day. Milk's a good thing. You got to start with it. And it's so sweet to watch them drink that milk. It's so sweet, right? And they're growing and they're growing. You know what's not sweet? Is a 40-year-old man still sucking on a bottle. We're supposed to be growing. There are some things the Lord needs us to hear. There are some things He wants to put in front of us to help us continue to grow. But you can put a juicy T-bone in front of a nine-month-old and it's not going anywhere. Matter of fact, you could hurt them with it. You try to force feed it. Oh, this, there's protein here. You need to grow. You try to force feed that. Not only is it not going to do anything good for them, you could actually hurt them. But there comes a time, the book of Hebrews says, you should be teaching, but you still need the milk. Now, don't misunderstand me. Milk's good. And when you're little, when you're young, you grow with it. But there comes a time we grow with the things the Lord needs us to hear. Sorry, let me get to this. He said, I fed you, verse 2, with milk, not with solid food, for until you're not able to receive it, even now you're still not able. Here's why. For you are still carnal. For where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? I probably needed to get to this about 15 minutes ago, but here we are. Here's one of the places we look, first of all for this childish 
mentality, a childish way of thinking, envy, strife, and division. One of the first things children learn to say, with, it seems like without anybody teaching them, what is it? Mine. 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 You've got something, I want it. Mine. Mine. Envy. It's a childish way of thinking. What's interesting about this word envy is it's not the same word that's translated in other places in Scripture, envy. It is the same that you see in James chapter 3 where there is envy and strife, there's confusion. So here you see where there's envy and strife, there's division. He's essentially saying the same thing. And what this Greek word translated envy is, you know what it is? Zealous. Zealous. You know what word we get in the English language for that? Zealous. <laughs> or a zealot. It describes somebody who is so obsessed with their idea, so bent on their way of thinking to the exclusion of everyone else's that they are on the threshold of becoming militant because of this idea. Zealous. Zealous over it. So holding on to what they think. This opinion. And it's almost like the scripture paints it in phases because the step that comes after that is strife. When you have somebody that is unwilling to yield and will not bend and, and holds on to what they think to the exclusion of what everybody else says, the result is strife. And that word strife is a political word talking about the pursuit of place, the pursuit of position. And one of the reasons you and I both are so turned off by the political climate in this country right now is because it reeks of this strife. Yes. It reeks of this envy. And what started in the halls of Congress is overflowing in our streets. Streets are full of zealots. Some individuals may be peacefully protesting, and I don't have any issue with that. But you and I have both seen it. There are those who are so bent with one way of thinking to the exclusion of everybody else's that it's become militant. And the result is this strife, this stinking straight out of the pit of hell strife. And he said what, what the, the final result is, is division. The, the breaking up into categories, the breaking up into groups. Division. Confusion. Where there's envy, there's strife, there's division. Where there's envy, there's strife, there's confusion. You look that word confusion up, you know what it means? Anarchy. Now you tell me there's a better commentary than the Bible to what's going on in our world today. There's not one. It's showing you exactly what's happening. The kingdom is divided. The city is divided. Houses are being divided. And it's by people with ideals. It's people with agendas. And they hold so tightly to them that they become militant. And the result is strife and division. But if you want your house to stand, there's going to have to be some growing up. Because in the eyes of God, you know what all this stuff is? 
Babies in cribs. Kids on playgrounds. Fighting over a ball. Fighting over who gets to stand in the front of the line. All these childish things. That's a childish mentality. Me first, me first, me first, me first. That's childish. And if you don't put it away, it'll hang around. And we'll be full-grown adults in stature and in age. But babies, children in our thinking. Man, when this stuff gets into a house and it gets between a husband and a wife or in a family, and you got somebody who just knows they're right and somebody else who just knows they're wrong, this, it, it, it's envy. And it's not the word we think of for envy. We think of that in terms of akin to jealousy. The, the only, as I study these words, the only connection I see and the reason it would have been translated, the word envy, is because when you look it up, one of the meanings is heat. Heat. It is somebody so hot, so indignant, that they're, they're just aflame with this idea and ideology and an unwillingness to bend on it. And the result is strife. And the result of strife is division. And the result of division is destruction. If that's allowed in a house, it's only a matter of time. That house is coming down. But folks, we got to grow up. We got to grow up. You may think what you're so passionate about and your opinion and idea is worth dying for, is worth fighting for. But in the eyes of God, it's like, it's like crying over a baseball card or something some other kid has that you just want so bad. It's mine, it's mine, it's mine. And you know what? When your kids, whatever, you help them. Guys, one of the things we tell our kids all the time, look, what you're upset about right now, it's not a big deal. I know it feels like one, but it's not. It's not. They make more ice cream. We'll get more. They, they, they make other Hot Wheel cars. You know, we lost that one. We'll, find, we'll get another one. These things that feel like such a big deal that tears are shed. And part of the job of a parent is to help them in that maturity to see that's not a big deal. Here's what's a big deal. And you start to show them the things that actually matter. And if we're good parents, we teach them what matters to God. And Jesus confronted the most religious people today with it. He said, there are things that are big to you that mean nothing to God. And that's what our lives are supposed to be about, fixing that. If it's big to him, it's big to me. If it's little to him, it's little to me. You know what's big to him? Our unity. Our oneness. You know what's little? You hanging on to this idea, this opinion, this feeling. We're growing up. We are growing up. Amen? Amen. Praise the Lord. Is this helping anybody? We are a house undivided. Stand on your feet with me. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Go ahead, brother. Thank you, Father. Come on, just worship the Lord with me just for a minute. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Say this, we are one body. We are one body. There was something the Lord quickened to me about that yesterday, and it's come to my heart a couple of times, but I'm starting to see it more accurately. 
You know, when, when a virus or a germ gets into the body from the outside, the immune system in the body goes to work to fight that, to get rid of it, right? But there's something that even now is puzzling medical science, doctors, professionals, and they don't have all the answers about, and it's what they're calling autoimmune disease. I don't know if you're familiar with this much or not. I don't know a whole lot about it, except that it, that, that it means this. It's when the immune system in the body starts attacking healthy tissue, starts attacking healthy cells in the body. In other words, it's not something from the outside. It's the body attacking itself. And you can, you can see why many medical professionals, they're, they're beginning to understand some of it, but they don't really see the root causes. I mean, why would a healthy body attack itself? It's not something from the outside in, it's from the inside. Healthy immune system rising up against a healthy tissue and treating it like it's the problem. I would say it to you like this, that body is confused. That body is confused and what it thinks it's doing is attacking something that's not supposed to be there. What it thinks, it thinks it's doing the right thing, but that's confusion. Now, medical professionals may not be able, may be able to understand it. They may say this is a relatively recent development, but it's been happening in the body of Christ for too long. The body attacking itself thinking it's doing the body a favor, but not realizing it's tearing itself down instead of building itself up. And you know what? My heart breaks. My heart goes out. But I, I, I know of probably two or three different ministers, uh, uh, ministries right now who have taken it upon themselves and their entire focus is to tell other people in the body what's wrong with other parts of the body. And they think they're doing a favor, but it's the body attacking itself, yeah. treating it like, oh, that's a different body. That's not supposed to be. No, no, no. One body. One body. This is the only body. Don't attack it. And I've come to the place where I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to talk about it. And anytime I've ever let something come out of my mouth that was negative concerning another minister or another ministry, Never has the Lord dealt so strongly with me as he has in those moments. Shut your mouth. You are not doing you or anybody else a favor. This is an autoimmune disease and you are tearing down the one body when you're supposed to be building it up. One body. One body. Thank you, Lord. I know there are things wrong. I know there are errors. But just because your finger hurts doesn't mean you got to chop it off. Just because you got a little pain over here doesn't mean you need to perform an amputation. I know things get off, things get wrong, but our job is to build up. Our job is to equip, build up, and grow up. Amen? We're growing up. Sarah, what do you have, babe? Come on up. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I believe that we're going to be a church that lets the love of God lead every aspect of our lives and you know it is a lot easier to walk in love than it is to be sick 
it is. And a lot of people think, well, it's really hard for me to walk in love with this person. It's really hard for me to let love lead in this situation. But loving people, letting love take over. You know, the Bible says that the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts. When we were born again, there is access available to us to the love of God. It it can fill up our hearts so big and overtake any situation. So think about if we were able to live in that love day in and day out. It's easier than living frustrated, living in strife. You know, strife affects the cells of the body. It affects the deepest parts of us. But if we let the love of God rule in our families, in our homes, in this church family, when we go out into this community and we love people unconditionally, that is the high level agape love that's already shed abroad in us. Just watch and see the kind of people that will, we will bring people here. It'll be the light of God that brings people into this church. So let's let love lead in every situation. You know, sometimes you just got to stop and say, that's not a big deal. Right. It's not a big deal. I'm going to let love lead. It's not a big deal. I'm going to just cast all my care. I'd rather be healthy and strong in my cells. I'd rather be uh, strong in the Lord and flourishing and happy than get over into that strife that the world is in. Amen. So if you start to feel that coming on you, that strife coming on you, if you're watching too much TV, if you get over and that you're thinking about it too much, you're talking about it too much, just say, you know what? It's easier to love. It's easier to love. I'm going to walk in the love of God. I'm going to let the love of God that has been shed abroad in my heart take over every second of the day, every moment of the day. I'm going to go to bed in peace walking in the love of God. Amen. 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 Thank you, Lord. Father, we thank you for your word today. We pray over your congregation, your family this morning. We call them blessed. Lord, we ask you to take this word that we've heard, root it down deep on the inside of us, cause it to take root and to bear fruit. In Jesus' name, Lord, we want to be people who walk in your love and talk your love and think and understand your love. And we thank you for growing us up. Growing us up. We want it, Lord. We want growth. And if that requires correction, so be it. We want it. We want to grow. We want to be able to hear the things that you want to say. We want to be able to receive the things that you have for us. We thank you, Lord, for it. We worship you. We thank you, Lord, for for putting us this week, all week long, in the right place, at the right time, doing the right thing with the right people. We glorify you for it, Father. We give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen? Amen. Amen, church. We love you so much. Thanks for being a part of our service today. Online family, we love you, and we'll see you soon. You guys are dismissed. Thank you so much for tuning in today. We hope you enjoyed this message. If you need someone to pray with you, there are several ways for you to contact us. Feel free to give us a call at 817-577-0180. You can also contact us through the Legacy Studios app or either of our websites. Giving options are available online at pearsonsministries.com and legacychurch.family. If you prefer, you can also text an offering. Simply text LEGACY in any dollar amount to the number 28950 and follow the prompts. 
Be blessed today. We love you. And remember, you are always welcome here in the house of faith.